0: You are listening to the Swim Not Sync Leadership Podcast, the show for first-time leaders, for that moment in your career when the buck stops with you. This is your window into the world of how to lead successfully. Now over to your host, James Nagel. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the Swim Not Sync Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, James Nagel, and my guest today is Matt Tucker. So first of all, a few words about Matt. Matt is the former COO and president at Olo, which ipo would in 2021 with a valuation of $3.6 billion. So this podcast's first unicorn guest. Now for listeners outside the US, Olo powers the ordering and delivery programs for restaurants which want to build their own brands versus going with aggregators like Just Eat. He got into tech in the early days and has been involved in a number of businesses, including Lending Tree, which was online mortgages, Recycle Bank, a rewards program for recycling, and so Matt's a pro at taking innovative business models to the next level. He's originally from Washington DC. He didn't just do his MBA at Georgetown, he also went to high school there. Now, he can thank his mum for the Blue Blood C V, as she worked in the university her whole life. So I'm looking forward to hear Matt's story, warts and all. Welcome, Matt.
1: Thank you, James. It's uh, great to be here with you, and I owe all my success to cheating off you at Georgetown.
0: <laughs> I think there's a bit more to it than that. <laughs> but you can cer- you can certainly thank your mother. I do thank her, and my father, of course, as well. So maybe a quick word about how, how we know each other. Yeah,
1: for sure. So. Scarily enough, we've known each other for 30 years now, I think. It's crazy. So we met in uh, 1992 in in D.C. at Georgetown University, where we both got our uh, MBAs, and uh, we're in the same section. So um, I just uh, took a liking to you. It was your It was your accent. I thought it was unique at the time. I didn't realize there was a whole country full of people <laughs> with the same accent, or I probably wouldn't have took... That shine to you, but, uh, you know, we, we've known each other a long time and really lucky to catch up recently in Dublin, which is uh, an amazing time. And
0: so at the time, we had a few beers and I said, you passed the uh, podcast test. Right? <laughs> uh, you didn't realize you were auditioning. But honestly, the reason I was keen to have you on is because, you know, you've made your own career. You're a self-made man. And unlike a lot of people who just by the necessities of corporate can't talk 100% freely I believe you will be able to. So really, really looking forward to this. So let's go back to 2013 and Olo. Mm. What, what was the challenge that the company faced? What, what was the context of that of that stage? Thank you for uh, sort of bringing me back to that time.
1: It was a, let me sort of lay out the context there, the company and the industry. And I, I should really start with the market itself first because the restaurant vertical is just so far behind other e-commerce and retail verticals from a technology perspective, James. So it was really in an industry that wasn't so much searching for a solution. It was a company in Olo that had an incredible solution that was really waiting for the restaurant vertical to start to understand that e-commerce order ahead, which was the core product we had at the time that that was important for the restaurant industry. Again, this is an industry that's historically uh, very late um, to embrace technology. So the industry was not there in 2013, um, but the company most certainly was, although it was nascent. It had been around for a while. I mean, when we went public last year, you mentioned it, James, we were already 16 years old. So this is no you know, overnight success story. It's a long, long slog that Noah Glass, the founder and CEO, began many, many years ago when the company was founded in in Johannesburg. But when I joined, we were still sort of proving product market fit. We had one or two large enterprise customers who really did uh, see the vision of what the company was trying to achieve. Um, We had a team of 10 people when I joined. But I should just fast forward. When I left left the company uh, at the end of Q1 this year, those 10 people... Um, were either there or just left prior to me. So that core 10, when I walked in the door, was a really, really strong team. We were sort of ready uh, to catch the wave. We were just waiting for the wave to begin to swell. So there was a strong team there. Um, There was good product um, that, you know, wasn't as mature as it is today. Um, But, you know, we could feel uh when myself and two other execs i brought with me when we walked in the door together i think we all felt like this was the precipice of the beginning of a of a really great run which did turn out to be quite true
0: let's say a solution looking for a problem or a receptive customer is quite common it's quite common that's right but you had been involved in a few of these right or more than a few at the time in 2013 when you joined how, how did this rank in terms of this is going to be it or this is just another uh, good rather than great story? Yeah, it's always hard to tell, but I think you get a real sense
1: very quickly. I know my first startup, I did Lending Tree, uh, which was one of the pioneers in, um, in uh, you know, marketplace, uh, pioneer marketplace products out on the Internet uh, where we did online mortgages. I could tell really almost the day I walked in there, even though when I, I was head of sales and I would call on banks and they would literally say, what's the internet? Um, despite that fact, I always felt like there was there a was sense that that company just had a destiny and it was going to do incredibly well. And that was a lot because of the CEO and founder. And when I walked in the door of Olo, I felt the same way. I mean, you know, the CEO founder was and is just an unstoppable guy. He has, you know, the vision, he has the drive, he has uh, the charisma, the work ethic. I really did feel similarly in those two companies. It's not to say I haven't felt positive about the companies that have been failures. And I've had lots of failures way longer than we want to, you know, that we have on this podcast. There's not enough bandwidth in the world to talk about my failures. But um. You know, certainly that felt like a almost a manifest destiny at a few of these companies. Um, And you're right, it was sort of a product,
0: you know, looking for a market, but we knew it was going to be there, right? I mean, and you were talking about the CEO there and the list of his qualities. The other thing, I had a quick Google of him on one of the American business shows. He's a very good communicator because he really is. The guy was asking him pretty stupid questions, which were nearly (laughs) contradictory, but he was very good at you know, on message, but we kept it, kept it nice and simple. He's okay, an yep. incredible
1: communicator, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you didn't just, I'm not saying you just asked me a stupid question as well, but he is, you know, to the extent you did, he <laughs> he's a brilliant communicator. And yeah, you, know, you think about the CEO, COO, you know, how do you divide that world up and certainly sort of communicating with the market um, being on stage, being that visionary, he is brilliant at it. And, um, while it does seem to come naturally to him when you watch him or you listen to him, he also puts in just
0: a tremendous amount of work. Okay. So now we'll move away from the hum, the humility side of things. You know, you came in, it was, there was only 10 of you. It was a good team, all fair, but what did you bring to it? If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to test your own readiness for the hot seat, then take the Leadership Readiness Scorecard. Details in the show notes and on swimnotsync.com.
1: I'll try to be less humble at this point because I did bring some things into it. First of all, uh, just to reiterate, I, I brought two very experienced execs with me. Um, and we really came as a as a package, James, So, um, and literally, so when we were negotiating with the company, we insisted on coming together, and we believe that that would prove that the company was ready to grow and scale. You know, hiring one person is easy, but making a commitment to three people um, really proves that you need you're ready to go. Three people when the sum total of the company at that point was ten people, so it's a pretty significant growth. So I applaud the the CEO and the board for that action. So what do I bring with me? I brought two really great execs. Um, I brought um, an experience in sort of proving product market fit. Um, I brought experience in a sense of urgency. Um, And that, I would say, I continued that throughout my tenure at Olo till the day I walked away, I was talking about urgency. And to me, that is one of the most important characteristics. I brought a sense of belief. The 10 people there were relatively inexperienced. Um, They they didn't have a ton of uh, work experience prior to Olo. But myself, and again, these two execs, we brought this sense of belief that we can do this, that we could kick the competitors' asses, that we can create the best products, that we could hire the best people, that we could achieve market dominance. Um, So... You know all of those things. I think I was able to walk in the door with. I and I work closely with the CEO to, you know, to define the values of the organization to really set those in stone. Let me just talk about what I didn't bring. Um, this is not humility. Like I was also really deliberate in trying not to choke the company at that point with process. So you would look at my experience and say, well, you've been a COO mm-hmm. you know, multiple times you know, I also, I think I knew when to add process, James, and when to just let things move forward. So it was important to have that sense of, you know, sort of, uh, um, you know, vision, if you will, about when when the company should just be running and when okay. you should stop and pause and try
0: to add processes. That's a very important mindset, indeed. So this is more about your story than about the Olog story, albeit they're, they're, they're overlapped. I'm, I'm curious in terms of, you went there in your 40s, right? So what What was your own stretch? Who was the sort of the mad pre-Olo and the mad post-Olo now? Yeah. Um, well, the mad
1: pre-Olo had you know, been a technology executive and entrepreneur multiple times. And I had, you know, a sense of, success because I had seen that, you know, once or twice. I had, you know, many, many failures uh, on my C V as well, um, which, you know, I tried to amortize over companies. And you know, I didn't have something that I could point to particularly and say, you know, here was a incredible success. Because by the time Lending Tree went public, I was gone. I had started my own first company. And so I feel you know, responsible for a lot of the early successes there, but I I didn't stay around long enough. So my resume, I'd say was relatively complete in my own head. But if you looked at it, I don't think you would say, um, you know, here's a guy who had taken a company from, you know, zero or virtually zero Mm -hmm. to, let's say $100 million plus, um, from you know, an early stage company to a public company. And I think those were you know markers of success that I think they're really external, but for me, I, I sort of felt that a little bit. like I really wish I had that on my resume, then I'd feel like, okay. you know, I was a more complete exec. Um, but, you know, once I got that, I don't know if I feel any different <laughs> about myself. Like, those are just points in time. And I could say, okay, well, been there, done that. But, you know, I don't feel any more successful or less successful than I did
0: before. Yeah, that's interesting. Look, so many people have a, I want to be a general manager or vice president or whatever the title is. And then I think <laughs> invariably their conclusion is they get it and then it's okay. So so what? But, you know, you were CEO at Olo and you've done Various CEO roles, but you were also a CEO. You were also the number one guy. Yeah. Which, which one suited you? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um,
1: I'd say that the most successful you know, job I've ever had was certainly the one at Olo because I think it was the most successful partnership I ever had. My my role and title didn't matter to me so much. You know, we've already established that the founder CEO of Olo was a brilliant is a brilliant communicator. And I feel like having watched him now that my role is more suited to the back of the house, to use a restaurant parlance, right? The, the inside person. It's not that I lack ego, but I don't need to be on stage. I do enjoy it from time to time, but I really enjoy watching the success of other people. I, I much prefer to be more behind the scenes and really help develop talent I don't know if that's the same when I was at, when I was the founder and CEO of a company, you know, twenty so years ago. I feel there was probably more of a itch to scratch. Now that I'm more mature, I, I'm much more suited now to the position of supporting a founder CEO. You know, there's no real definition of a CLO. I, I've never found a successful definition, and I've been approached by a lot of a lot of companies since I left Olo and it's interesting to read some of these job specs. You know, my definition of a COO is uh, the guy who do, the guy or gal who does everything the CEO doesn't want to do. And yeah. so I was really lucky to do so many different things in my COO role at Olo that I really felt um, overlap with some of the stuff I did as CEO. I, I, I don't need the title. I don't need to be on stage. I don't need the accolades, I'm very happy to watch other people, you know, um, be noted for their success and, you know, really happy to watch, you know, my leaders, the ones I've hired, the ones I've recruited just to watch them grow and succeed. It's like they're, you know, I don't mean this in a negative way. They're like kids, right? Like your son Francisco thinks I look like uh, Steve Bannon Let's talk about him for a moment. You're very proud of him when he succeeds, probably way more so than when you're, you know, swimming around the entire country, whatever you do on your weekends. So, yeah. you know, I feel similarly at, at this point in my career. Yeah, I, I much prefer to, you know, to be the person in
0: the background supporting. And so it's different. But but I think it's an interesting one, the whole thing of the, when you're in your mid-career, let's say, the itch to scratch, because yeah. I have one very strong client I'm coaching right now, And she's the classic high potential. Right. And the only question is what's her ambition more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And you know, the classic question, well, you know, which job in the company would you like to have? And she said, CEO, and I said, well, why CEO? And on her case, she just doesn't think she has the finesse or gravitas, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But to the core of the, I mean, for me, the essence of CEO is you, the buck stops with you and you get to make the final call. How did that work out at OLO? In terms of clearly, there was a good trust, a good cl- complementarity, but there must have been moments when you disagreed on big calls. Very few, you know. Now Noah is a
1: detail-oriented guy, so mm-hmm. there would be times, James, I'd have to present my case to him, and there were times that we did disagree. And he was the CEO, and I would commit. Uh, I would disagree and commit to what his vision was. But for the most part, um, I made the decision. I made the final decision. Uh, on a lot of the different parts of the company, I you bring up a good point. Like if I was not able to make my own decisions, the title wouldn't matter. You know, even as a CEO, if I had to report to a board in which they were questioning everything, then that wouldn't be a, a worthwhile job for me. So um, it was probably the the role at Olo combined with the great boss I had that allowed me to make those calls. If I was in a role where I could not
0: make the final call, then I would not be happy in that role. Now that you've left Olo. What are they going to miss about you? (laughs) Well, if I've done my job, very little,
1: right? So what I mean by that is I I hired or I recruited and hired some incredible executives there, uh, people I had worked with before, people I knew just in the ecosystem, people who I didn't know, who I just were incredible finds. Um, so I'm really serious. I'm, this is not false humility. I mean, that team is really, really strong and I am very proud of them because I hired virtually every single one of them. So they're different from me. Um, <clears throat> some of them are, are more purpose built for this stage of the company than, than I would be. Um, and this stage of the company doesn't particularly interest me. Um, but, um, you know, I, I served my time there at the right time, right? Like it was the growth stage sort of series B through IPO. And, you know, to to sort of wipe humility away completely for a moment, I hired great people. And if I did my job, which I'm pretty certain I did, then there's very little that company should miss. I mean, they have you know, a great replacement of COO. They have a great CFO, you know, all the general managers there whom I hired, like they are, they're, they're incredible. And so I don't know, I, I think I bring something to the table in terms of, uh, you know, speed of decision-making and sort of unflappability and uh, things like that. But, you know, they have that, they, they have a really, really strong team there. I, again, I'm not trying to uh, be falsely modest. I, I think I did a really good job in bringing
0: people on who can who can you know move that company forward. Yeah, you see when when you probe the bear, the bear comes out fighting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but if you've done your job, you've done your job. I don't want them to miss me. I, if they miss me, I feel
1: like I didn't do the right job. Like I did not find the right person to take my place, and um, I'm pretty certain they don't miss me. And, uh, and I'm
0: pretty certain that that feels good. Let's say one of the big jobs, and you, you've you talked about it from the very first answer, it's all about building the team. So how have your recruitment criteria changed over time? People is your legacy. How do you get that choice right? It's definitely an art, not a science. Um,
1: there are a few things. I think if I look back in my career, no doubt, James, I think I deferred back then to industry expertise, maybe more than anything else. In other words, I would look at someone's CV and I would say, oh, wow, they've been in the mortgage business for, you know, 15 years. They, they'd be perfect fit for lending tree. Or they've been in the uh, logistics business for a decade. They'd be great for Rely software. Um, and I probably sort of over-indexed to that experience. But I learned over time that, you know, experience is, is overrated and industries are teachable. I didn't know anything about the restaurant industry besides having been, you know, a waiter and a busboy and a bouncer in the restaurant world you know, back in the day. I didn't know the uh, I didn't know the issues. I didn't know the tech stack. I didn't know any of that stuff. It's learnable. What is really hard to find is someone who's got you know the work ethic and the relentlessness and the customer focus and the bias towards action. If you over-index to experience, I think you, you know, bring a set of people into a company that are maybe set in their ways more so than someone who doesn't have that industry expertise or less curious about new solutions because they think they've been there and done that or reliance on the same set of contacts that they've always had in the industry. So I'd say my maturity in hiring has been sort of decoupling the industry I'm in from the expertise that is necessary to be successful. And um, I've always just focused on it too. I would just say that um, I don't pay lip service to hiring and how important that is. I sort of walk the walk and talk the talk. I I get deeply involved in the, the folks I'm recruiting. I do all the reference checks, period, uh, for the people I'm recruiting. Um, and that is really really important i think i deferred earlier in my career to you know whether it was a third party um recruiter that was doing the work or you know just someone on my team and so uh, i've really tried to focus on people and the recruitment and hiring and onboarding um you know
0: significantly since early days of my career but isn't it funny the simple thing of a reference check and doing that yourself truly now we're on a quick fire, quick fire round. Okay. When you're looking at a CV and you see Georgetown MBA on it, knowing all, you know, and all the things you've just told me, positive, neutral, negative.
1: Well, I mean, um, I would say positive because, you know, I, I want to, I'm proud of the fact that I went to Georgetown and I met some great people there and I learned a lot. Um, so all things being equal, I would certainly like to see, you know, Georgetown on the resume. Um, it certainly wouldn't be negative. Um, but the you know, work experience is far more important to me than anything else. I mean, it. you know, sometimes you look at the CV and just, people have a sense of entitlement. Yeah. yeah. Was that quick fire? Or that was just a long babbling answer.
0: <laughs> I will respond with stony silence. Uh,
1: so you want me to say yes, no, we're indifferent. Okay. I, yes. I'm no,
0: right. I, uh, I think it was, a, it, was a, it was, it was reasonable. And I think it's true. I think it's for everyone. All of your education only, only truly proves its value. Once you land, in your first role. And that's, that's when I think that's when time starts so the first role and then, and, and from then on. So let's talk about the team that you built uh, at Olo. So you went with your, your best method, your best art and science to get the right people. Where in that sort of fast dynamic environment, where did people maybe struggle a bit and what was your means of supporting them to success? I don't have a quick fire response to
1: this one either. Um, The best people who I hired in, you know, were just willing to embrace the role very quickly and embrace what they did not know very quickly. And were willing to, so, you know, we, we, we had a really good onboarding um, part of the, part of the company. And so we could, you know, get people up to speed relatively quickly on the the company and the industry, but you know, it's much harder in a, in a certain role, especially if you're the leader of a department. So, you know, a lot of the people, most of the people I hired were quite experienced in in what they did. The last uh, person I hired was our head of engineering and who walked in the door um, to a large extent with her own plan on how to understand um, her team, how to understand the technologies we use, how to understand the solution. So I would work with her and sort of refine uh, that that onboarding plan to say, okay, well, I, I suggest the following cohort of people to speak to first to get a broader understanding of what we're doing. Then I would go into these specific areas. And then I would say, here are some people that if you looked at the org chart, might not look like they are sort of top of the chart, but that are actually way more critical than they appear on the org chart. So I give her, in this case, her, I give her sort of a a lay of the land um, and then work with her, uh, you know, sort of prior to all those meetings, after those meetings and doing a a debrief, uh, listening to her and the knowledge she gained about, you know, the different departments that she was going to manage. And again, giving her the latitude to, uh, to train herself, but at the same time, you know sort of narrowing her direction saying don't worry about this yet like this
0: is something you can focus on six months from now. So so let's move away from the team now back back to you. Um, How's your definition of success evolved over time? Because from knowing you it's not it's not money. I don't know what it is, but it's not money. You, know, it's not money, it's not
1: accolades it's it's you know sort of bringing value to three constituencies, right? The employees, the customers, of whatever company it is and and sort of the investors. And I want to see each of those three cohorts, you know, as happy as they can be, the employees and their careers and their roles, you know the customers with the products they're buying from us. You know, and are we solving some of the issues, you know, some of the problems that they have with with the technology that we're building and the investors are they getting the return that they expected from the company? I don't know. I I have, you know, we talked about this. Success is so fleeting, James, you know, this like I, I think far more about you know, the the sort of some of the the negative stories in my career, some of the the downturns. It's more of the, I think way more about the sink than the swim. Um, you know, even going public and the day of our IPO, was an, it was a great day. And I was, you know, certainly proud of the accomplishments of the company and, and the team. But then, you know, it's right back to it. By the end of that day, there was a customer issue we had to take care of. And so success is so fleeting. I, I want people to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Um, but I don't think about it too much. It always seems like maybe it's the role, but it always seems like,
0: you know, on to the next uh, to the next issue. Well, there's a, there's a guest I had on last year so an Irish sports manager. You had listened to him. I did. So last year they won it. This year they went out early. And it brought to mind, he said on the podcast, you know, you got to enjoy the success because it lasts much shorter than the pain of the failure. And (laughs) within 12 months, it came to pass.
1: It's totally true. I did listen to that podcast. It it was great. You know, I didn't know much about Irish football, of course, but uh, um, it was really, really interesting. And I think that's certainly true. I mean, but, but success is important for the team. Like, they need to grow in their career again for customers. It's did we solve the problem you felt we were going to help you with? And then I'm always mindful of the investors, I've had long relationships with them, and they want to make sure they get out of it. They've put money into these companies. I join early stage companies, and it's extremely risky. And you know, I'm always mindful of making sure that. sort of there's a win-win-win here for those three constituencies. I don't think about my own successes too much. Um, I think if those three constituencies succeed, then whatever that means for me, I'll I'll have my own success.
0: Okay, Matt, so two more questions for you. Um, After all this, you're still a young guy. What's next? Well,
1: thank you. Uh, I don't know if I feel young, but I do feel young. Like I'm re-energizing now. I'm not – retiring James. So it's on to the next thing. It's just a matter of when I find it. So, you know, to me, um, I'm thinking about, you know, the different interesting roles out there in the technology world and the software world in particular, and probably even more particular vertical SaaS. uh, That's interesting. Number one. Number two, um, looking at some board and advisory roles now, uh, that's super exciting. I have a passion for entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs. So if I can help any of them, and you know I was lucky enough to be in Dublin with uh, with a great company there and Flipdish and they have incredible, uh, team and, and entrepreneurs who are who are running that company, and it was a real pleasure to come and speak to them. I really enjoy that. Again, I I'd make a lousy investor because I just love every founder and every entrepreneur and and all their stories. I just have such incredible empathy for them. And then the last thing is, I'm considering starting my own thing again. So another startup for me, where I will be CEO. Um, mm-hmm until I find someone who's better than me. So that's a possibility as well. well. We'll see. But I thought also maybe co-host mm-hmm. of, you know, Swim
0: Not Sink. And <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you weren't thinking of that? It's a big price to buy in, man. <laughs> but um, but the, you've just said something that's interesting, right? You say you wouldn't make a good investor because you, you know, like all the guys you made or all the girls you meet. So, yep. but surely choosing a business to invest in is just like choosing a new head of function or building yeah. the team, or or is it different?
1: Well, I mean, listen, I mean, you, you um, it's a little bit different. I think I, I see a lot of business plans now, you know, whether I'm, you know, more sort of for angel investment opportunities. And I, I list to be clear, I see some that I, I think are silly Um but generally speaking, I do have a passion for entrepreneurs and the risks that they're willing to take. It is a bit different for when for when you're hiring for a specific role. I, I, I get why that sounds a little bit similar um, but it, but it's not entirely. I'm just saying I'm um, empathetic or sympathetic to to the entrepreneur and the journey they're trying to take and we'll do whatever it's in my power to help them. Uh, to the extent that I, to the extent that I believe that what they're doing makes sense, and that's an important caveat. Um, Hiring is a little bit of
0: a different. Fair, role. fair, and actually, another way to maybe ask it is: you talked about burning the boats, and that really struck me because that is the difference between maybe the corporate mindset where you mm-hmm. never are fully all in, and what what you maybe love in an entrepreneur. So, could you maybe talk to that a second? Yeah,
1: of course. The burning the boats analogy is—I think it was when Cortez attacked Mexico and he sailed his boats into the bay and and he burnt them down. In other words, he said to his troops, you know, pretty clearly that there there's no way but to win. There's no way out. You cannot leave. And and that is definitely the case with entrepreneurs. You have to be willing to to take this incredible leap of faith and step off the cliff or burn your boats to the ground. It is very different from the corporate ro- world, right? I mean, where you always have backup, where there's always another job, even if you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur inside a large company, you know, failure just means, okay, you move to a different division. That's not the case in the startup world. Failure is absolute. There is no going back. Um, and if you don't approach it that way, then you are, you know, you are not gonna be successful. You must be all in. You must be all in. And every great entrepreneur I know, every great one, including Noah, the founder, CEO of Ola, my last job, he was that way. He founded the company in in Johannesburg, South Africa. And he was able to raise a half million dollars. But the person he raised it from said, you must withdraw your admission from Harvard Business School. Not defer your admission. Withdraw it. There is no going back. And I think that that challenge, that that uh, that VC, you know, placed in front of Noah really, you know, solidified. Okay, I'm all in. There is no going back. And you know, there there's no equ- equivalency to that in the corporate world that I'm aware of for sure. Now I haven't spent much time in the corporate world because I. Didn't yeah. find that. But it's a,
0: but it's a great qualifier question, right? You said you've just been a, you've just been admitted to Harvard or Georgetown or wherever. Yep. Are you going to give that up permanently? That's a great. Call. As as a belief in your idea. So look, clearly after this podcast, your public profile is going to explode. Oh my god! A yeah. lot of people, a lot of people are going to be looking for you. But just to <laughs> warn you, you know the phrase that you are who Google says you are. The big yeah. problem for you is that when people Google Matt Tucker, it's your successor who comes up. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well,
1: I'm proud of that because I hired her and she's great. So if if her bio comes up under my name, that's probably, that's probably good for me. <laughs> Matt, a real pleasure. Thanks very much. James, it's awesome to talk to you as always. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
0: You've been listening to the Swim Not Sink Leadership Podcast. Subscribe at swimnotsink.com forward slash podcast.